Hey guys, welcome back to episode four. Yes, episode four, who'd have thought we've made it this far. Um, we just want to quickly call attention to the fact that we are now on Spotify. I'm probably more proud of Spotify than I am like iTunes because like I for a minute there I didn't know whether the Spotify thing was going to come like to fruition but yes we are available so all your Android friends can listen to us via that app. Yes we are very happy to be on Spotify and I would just like to call to attention the fact that I have no ill will towards any Android users out there. Alex seems to have a bee in his bonnet over it but we are all inclusive here in the McDonough household that's what I will say. I mean I'm not going to make any apologies you know Y'all know I don't have any time. Don't ever send me an Android emoji. Don't ever send me any type of like screenshot of an Android screen. I don't want to see that. Like, yeah. But I'm happy that y'all can be involved in the podcast. So that's that's, like, that's good. Yeah. So on the note of ostracizing some of our listeners, why don't we get started, Alex? <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. I think a good thing to start with today, because it's been all over my Twitter all day, is pretty much everything that's just going down with Shane Dawson at the moment. Okay, so Shane Dawson, for those of those... I'm quite new to the Shane Dawson click, I guess. Um, he's a YouTuber, a really famous YouTuber. He became super famous last year with his Jeffree Star documentary and then even more famous with the um, Jake Paul docuseries. So that's where I know him from. I don't know what your experience is with him, Laura. Yes, pretty similar. So giving context with Shane Dawson, he's been on... YouTube for pretty much 10 years. He's kind of one of the most famous because of the fact that he's still so long standing. He's 20 million subscribers. As Alex said, he's been doing all of the docuseries. He's continuing to do that. He's doing more with Jeffree Star, who is a YouTuber who's famous for having a makeup line and for doing all of his makeup artistry online on YouTube. But Shane, basically, he's been around for a long time and he's been kind of privy to a few controversies over the years because of the fact that people would especially when it's resurfacing now as a community i find that we're probably being a lot more pc than we once were which i think is good it's good to call people up on their shit because you know can't be laxy daisy anymore folks but some things are getting thrown out of context and a lot of people are going into this cancel culture online and that's kind of what's happening at the moment again with shane dawson yeah there's definitely a widespread condemnation so i basically i'm not particularly involved i don't really involve myself in petty twitter beefs unless there's like someone who i actually care about so long story short give it to me okay so basically it's looking into it and there's a couple of things that have come up now pretty much in the last few days so around five days ago or so someone found a snippet from a podcast that he was involved with in i think 2014 2015 and now in fairness it was pretty gross i'm not gonna lie basically he had said in the podcast that it was something some sexual comment that he had made about his cat that he had when he was 19 saying that he had like humped the cat's stomach and came over came on the cat and that it was his first sexual experience so it was really graphic it was really gross i don't know how the person managed to find it because it's not published anymore so someone really really went crawling in depth looking for this and searched through a lot of stuff because that's five years worth of like podcast content to get there and Pretty much everyone is trying to cancel Shane Dawson for bestiality. Okay, wow. First of all, like, ew. But like, second of all, whoa. You know, that's yeah. a lot of, yeah. I can't believe, yeah, okay, wow. It's a big old whoa. Mm. So there's a couple of things to do with this. So I would consider myself a fan of Shane Dawson just because I got really into his docuseries there last year. 
And then when I was sick over Christmas, I went down the rabbit hole and I've watched pretty much all of his videos from the past three years, I'd say. It just, it happened. There was many a late night. There was many, many an hour not slept. So I kind of took took solace in YouTube. Um, so I'm quite, quite well versed in his use of comedy and his type of comedy. So a few years ago, he would have been really, really big into shock comedy. That was kind of his thing a few years ago kind of the same type of comedy that you would get on south park so like really stupid crude jokes that would be made and they're so off cuff that they kind of cause you to laugh because you don't expect them so that would have been really his vibe a few years ago and that's pretty much what he is now stating was the stupid sketch that he'd come up with around this whole stupid cat story he said that i'd come up with a sketch i axed it i didn't go through with it there's a reason why that podcast clip has been taken down because it's not true it wasn't funny and it was just ill-judged so that's kind of where this is coming from and but a lot of people are taking it to heart yeah a lot of people are really open arms about it at least with their keyboards i just think something like that to me like having said that i've watched the docuseries and stuff i'm not i don't really know him as a person i only know the side of him that he, you see on youtube so that's not to say that i know him but, okay, so when I read the transcript of the podcast, like, it's fucking rotten. It's awful. Like, it's disgusting. But it's also came across to me as something that was clearly meant to be a joke and was clearly meant to be funny. And the thing that I think he's most guilty of is that it was unfunny. It wasn't funny. You can say things that are crude, like you said, about South Park, and you can say things that are a bit um, edgy. And if they're funny, you kind of get away with it. So I think... You know, the outrage is kind of bizarre to me. I feel like we have lots of things that we should actually be outraged about and that should garner way more um, attention than they do as opposed to a YouTuber making a joke about having a sexual experience with his cat. Yeah, like it was just blatantly stupid. And the fact that even he can call on it now being like, it was so stupid. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry for offending anyone. I have no inclination towards my cat in any way, because he currently has a cat. His cat is called Cheeto. It's a little orange cat. It's actually very cute. But, again, we don't know him, so we can't claim anything. But I just find that if you if you listen to the clip, because someone has found the actual podcast clip and it's online now, and if you even just read the manuscript from it, it's just very clear that it was meant to be a joke, but it was just really, really stupid, really, really ill thought out, and just wasn't funny. Yeah, to be honest, I'm almost embarrassed that we even have to talk about this, that it's even become that big of a deal, like in this internet culture, that we're now discussing it on a pop culture podcast. To me, that is bizarre. It's hilarious to me. But, you know, this is the world we live in. I think we're all a little bit, like you said about PC culture, I'm all for PC, um, you know, really taking its mantelpiece. But I'm also like, sometimes we take it too far and it becomes this thing where you almost belittle actual controversies by making this a controversy next week when something actually controversial happens and we all react in the same way it demeans it a little bit like do we need to be open arms over him making a lame joke about having sexual experiences with cat probably not but here we are and here we are talking about it and here we are retweeting things and looking at tweets and it's all over my timeline so like i don't know i don't know what i'd like to end on but just like maybe chill I agree, especially because what kind of gets ridiculous as well is the fact that people get really up and up in arms over something that clearly was never 
meant to resurface or to be a big deal or to have any sense of truth to it and then when something on a grand scale actually happens that is very very honest and realistic to the truth of what statement is being made and then people react even less than to this which is just a load of nonsense it's just kind of screams stupidity but for me what I just find sad then as well so your man Shane Dawson he has a boyfriend called Ryland and Ryland is also a YouTuber and they got engaged there on Tuesday and now everyone's wondering is this just a cover-up of the cat story and I'm like Christ on a bike what a way to belittle someone's happy news yeah I mean that's yeah I'm not I I have no words so we'll leave you guys with that food for thought I just think as you said, Al, it's a pop culture podcast. It is also an entertainment podcast. And I suppose this is kind of all over the place. And some people might find it entertaining. I just wanted to voice my thoughts on it because I just think it's a, just it's a massive farce. Yeah, I totally agree. And the less said about bestiality, the better. Amen to that. So on that note, <laughs> on, that note. <laughs> on that note, let's talk about something just as chipper. We seem to also be turning into a documentary podcast at this stage. Well, I'm a big fan of documentaries. So, like, I'm watching them. So if this podcast is going to enable me to talk about them, I'm going to talk about them, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I do love a good podcast. I'm not going to lie. I'm more of a BBC Earth kind of podcast. No, kind of documentary watcher. Because, like, I love a bit of David Attenborough. I find the big documentaries about the very hard-hitting, realistic stories about people's lives and kind of investigatory-style documentaries. Very good, but very hard to watch. Okay. I guess I can engage a more critical eye when watching these things. I don't struggle as much as you seem to do. I'm, well, I don't know. I like knowing things is the thing. So I don't like, you know, where you are, of course, alluding to the Madeleine McCann documentary that went up on Netflix last weekend. So I like to be involved in things. So when everyone is talking about, you know, once Netflix drops anything, to be honest, it kind of becomes a social topic of interest. But I, so I like to know, I want, I like to be involved in those conversations. Yeah, no, that would make sense. Especially because like you are big into Twitter and obviously these type of things always hit home on Twitter. So why don't you detail just kind of give a brief synopsis about what happened on the documentary because I haven't finished watching it. Okay, so basically Netflix released an eight-part documentary about the Madeleine McCann abduction case on Friday. So basically it chronicles her abduction, how the kind of blame game kind of went about the press and then the parents and then the police and then kind of delves later in the series into more of the kind of conspiracy theories and possible outcomes and kind of also contextualizes the case in a modern sphere and then how this case can be kept alive going forward and what they're hoping to do with this case now because it is still open the first couple of episodes i'm not gonna lie not very not really engaging with me there's a lot of drone footage i don't know why Netflix like they must have paid a lot for this drone because every possible turn that drone gets up in the sky and you get a, a like nice little panorama shot. They, look, it is lovely, but by the twenty second time, it's kind of like okay, Netflix, like put the drone down. Do you know what I mean? Like it's too much. 
it lot some of it is very kind of it starts off yeah kind of tries to sell you a holiday to Portugal and that's cute but you know I don't want to that's not what I'm here for do you know what I mean I'm here to find the missing child like I'm not here to for you to sell me the Algarve like that's not what the situation also, is slightly ironic when you think about it it's like oh look at us selling you the Algarve where this atrocity took place yes in fairness they do they do do that so it starts like yeah look how beautiful it is look at these beaches and then it's like oh you know we have a really bad police force here and you know there's all these sexual predators around here but like you know it's still sunny like okay cool like so in fairness the documentary does kind of tear that facade down so i'm here for that overall i think it's good it's obviously not as good as a documentary where you can actually have an ending or at least you can finish with a kind of conclusion there is no conclusion as i said this case is still open it's still ongoing it's still being investigated so it does end kind of lacklusterly but it's a fairly enjoyable eight-part documentary the first couple of episodes i really didn't vibe with found them really boring i feel like they were saving up all the stuff that they knew everyone wanted to hear about until the last couple of episodes which i guess makes sense but it means that if you can't make it past episode four you're not gonna if you can only make it up to episode four you're gonna kind of give up and i've heard lots of people have done that if you get it to episode five it kicks into gear and everything kind of really expands and becomes a lot more engaging yeah i find it very difficult when shows format their stuff that way where you have to get to a particular point to then be interested because you kind of want to be engaged from the get-go because otherwise what's the point of watching so for anyone who did get to the end fair play Yes, fair play for continuing on. Like, I feel like I'm not usually a completionist. It doesn't bother me to just stop watching a TV show halfway through. That's never bothered me. Riverdale, I pay it dust now. Um, and there are plenty of other shows I just don't watch anymore. But if you make it to the end, I think it, it, the payoff is good. I think, obviously, the ending, we love a beginning, middle and end. You don't get that with this documentary series. But it's still, the payoff, it's there. Okay, so I'm going to ask the relatively controversial question then in terms of what do you think happened? Oh, what do I think happened? Okay, so let me just say that I have never felt like the parents had anything to do with it. And that's just where I've always fallen on that side of the argument. I've never found it to be in any way a compelling theory that they somehow killed their own child, even though it doesn't fit with there is literally no evidence to suggest that they have anything to do with the killing of the child. And the documentary spends, maybe this is why I didn't really vibe with the first couple of episodes. The first maybe three episodes really hammer Kate and Jerry McCann. They really nail it. They talk about their kind of dismissive style of parenting and place a lot of blame at their doorstep. And, you know, this like is that's up for debate, but it's definitely not unfair to place a little bit of blame on the parents they did leave their children unsupervised in a foreign country without any line of sight so it's not crazy to be like okay guys maybe keep your kids with you but I also have always found that avenue very harsh I feel like I don't know I can't speak from personal experience I was never left on my own as a child but it doesn't strike me as something that people wouldn't do and I think it's very high and mighty of people to critique them for doing that when it was probably at the time, like this is over 10 years ago now, at the time that was probably a regular occurrence in these holiday villages. It was like, okay, we'll leave our kids there. It's no big deal. And I think it's always really hard. Like obviously what happened 
is terrible and would not have happened had they had the kids with them. But this blame game that kind of ensued after is just crazy to me. I don't know where who it benefits, really. I know. I feel like I'm misremembering now, though. Was it just that Madeline was left alone in the apartment or were all three left alone? No, so all three of their kids are left in the apartment. 5A. Okay. I don't know why I had it in my head that the, that the twins were with the parents. I felt because they were younger than they must have been. Now, I don't think you're incorrect in saying that 10 years ago, things were done very differently, especially when it, kind of came, when it comes to like security and everything like that. Of your, your kids and like being in what you believe to be a secure like holiday village and everything. But considering how young they were, and I hate, hate, hate commenting on anyone's type of parenting. It's just, it's not within a person to comment on whether they are a parent or not. I just don't think that that was at all a safe move to do, just considering how young the kids were. There wasn't a sibling old enough to kind of be the babysitter per se. And even like in Ireland, in my very safe suburb that I live in, I was never left alone at an age where I couldn't supervise myself or be supervised by an older sibling. So for me, I just, again, hate commenting on someone's parenting, but I just think that that was a really, 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 really poor decision. And obviously they're going to live with that forever because of what happened. But it just was, it was very mindless if you ask me. Yeah. In hindsight, it is a huge oversight to leave your children alone but again i just feel like it's an unfair i feel like we're placing blame on people you know you see you have these large groups of people who think that they did kill their daughter so maybe that's to do with that kind of blaming of them that it's not even that's not where the blame ends the blame then continues on to them murdering their child like i mentioned at the start i just don't think that there is any well not that i don't think i there is no evidence to suggest that they did kill their daughter I think people like to point to a couple of things as proof that they are involved. And I just kind of find it very flimsy and very kind of, you know, I just it's not convincing at all. Like some of the best moments in the documentary are, are dealing with the cadaver dogs, which are basically these dogs that are trained to follow the scent of blood. And if they get the scent of blood, they're supposed to bark. And these can be a great help in finding forensic evidence in cases so at one stage they bring in this dog they bring her into the apartment and she goes over into madeline's kind of where madeline was asleep and she barks okay cool so what is that that's supposed to indicate the presence of blood they then take her to the rental car that the mccann's only went to two to three weeks after the abduction well i'm calling it the abduction i don't know what we were going to call it i guess we're trying to be inclusive to everyone's opinions the what would we call it? I don't know. We'll go, we'll go the, oh God, now you have me thinking about it. I think, stick with abduction for the moment. Because yeah, we're going to go with abduction. Until, until proven otherwise, we might as well go with the safest adjective. Mm-hmm. So they bring this dog to the car and the dog barks. So I've seen people be on Twitter. I keep saying referencing Twitter, but I really do. It's my favorite social media. So it's where I get a lot of my, not my information, but it's definitely where I gauge people's reactions and people's, opinions on things and people use this cadaver dog as proof that the McCann's had something to do with the murder of their own child now in fairness to the documentary they point this out in fairly black and white terms but it's over a very very short sequence so I guess if you weren't paying attention to it it kind of skips over you and you're just all you're left with is the sight of the dog barking in the apartment and at the car the car like I said is rented three weeks after the abduction and they tested 
they actually do find blood or at least DNA samples in the car and it's tested and it is a possible match for Madeline McCann. Possible match meaning your DNA is made up of your parents and it could be their DNA and it also could be the two younger children's DNA and it could also be Madeline's DNA but people like to pick that out and say Madeline's DNA found in the car. That's just not true. That's a huge, huge and very misleading statement to make. In regards to the apartment, like I mentioned before, these cadaver dogs are used to indicate the presence of blood. It's not about culpability. It's not about blame. It's not about guilt. What happens then is that you have to go in forensically and try to uncover this evidence. So the dog goes into the apartment, barks, and you think, okay, grand, let's forensically, you know, let's set up our tents. Let's go all CSI on this. Let's get, you know, these matches. They literally scour that apartment and cannot find any traces of blood. No, there is no blood in the apartment. So how does this child die? Where does she go? There's no evidence to suggest that she has died in this apartment. There's also no evidence to suggest that she, you know, maybe she's found unconscious and she's carried out and she's this and she's that. Now, obviously, all those type of DNAs, if you're blaming it on the parents, Kate and Jerry McCann's DNA would be all over that apartment. They were living in it. But I just like something like that's one pillar that I see people on always relying on. I just don't think I think people misunderstand what those cadaver dogs are made to do. They don't confirm anything. All they do is they kind of bark and go like, oh, there's possibly blood here. And like I mentioned, they find it in the car, but they don't find it in the apartment. That's fair. And the one thing I will say, just to be devil's advocate, is though, I had heard that in terms of the cadaver dogs, that even if blood has been cleaned up, that they can still smell it because just because it doesn't appear doesn't mean that they can't still get the scent from it because that's still going to linger, particularly, obviously, with the fact that dogs have very, very keen senses of smell. So I don't know, there's kind of that that kind of second guessing in your head when you're kind of like well just because they can't see it doesn't necessarily mean it's not there yes definitely but what i mean is what happens after these dogs bark is then you go in forensically and you find the blood they are supposed to be alerting to they did that and did not find the blood the traces of blood the anything there is no trace of blood in the apartment it's for all intents and purposes a false alarm but it's still held up as one of the most convincing arguments to make if you're trying to blame the parents for basically the murder of their own child. I think, so I think what happened was in the press, you you had this turn and documentary actually does a very good job. I will give it this. It does a very good job of detailing the kind of ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of the public relationship that the McCanns had as a family with the press. So there's this moment where they just seem to turn on the family. And now all of a sudden, this isn't a missing child case. It's a murder investigation. And it's a murder investigation where your prime suspects are the two parents. And they literally, the press, I mean, literally make up stories and put them on their front page. And people take this as, as in people reading these and people even now on Twitter, take these as gospel. And if they are, it's, total nonsense and they go to court over it eventually um, a couple of years after the disappearance the disappearance is probably a good um, adjective that we can use I'll refer to as the disappearance from now on and they have to retract all these false claims that they make about those two people because it's just untrue and what it led to was then 
you kind of have this really negative and kind of toxic relationship between the McCanns and the press. And with any abduction case, the press is essential. If you want to keep that case alive, a positive and a helpful relationship is necessary. And they weren't allowed that. And then I think eventually, maybe in the last couple of years, we've seen it kind of switch back now with everyone kind of thinking, okay, well, we still want to know what happened. So we need to keep this case alive and keep pushing forward. I think as two people, Kate and Jerry McCann are fairly, I don't want to use the word unlikable, but I will. They don't come across as particularly warm. They're not particularly, there's no charisma or anything there. I don't, and I've never gotten a good vibe off Jerry. I find him to be like super controlling and very robotic. But then the documentary also details this, that in order for you to get the best response out of your abductor, you have to carry yourself in such a way that not to be emotionless, but you definitely have to try and keep your emotion to a minimum. In order yeah, to because communicate. they're looking for that reaction. Yeah, and in order to communicate effectively. I we... suppose the thing that I'm curious as to your opinion of it is, so in terms of soon after the event, when, when Madeline disappeared, the Portuguese police turned to looking at the parents as suspects, kind of as prime suspects in the disappearance. And then the parents kind of hightailed it back to England pretty fast. A lot of people are claiming that to be suspicious. Kind of what's your take on it, considering just you're, you seem to be quite secure in your belief that they're not guilty. So kind of where is, where is your ideology coming with the whole hightailing it back situation? Well, I don't... Uh... I'm a very scientific person. I respect science and I respect facts. And there is nothing factual and there is nothing scientific to prove guilt. Literally zilch. So what we're talking about there and what you're referring to is us on the outside determining how these grieving parents should act. I don't know why they went and I don't want to explain it to you. And probably no one knows other than those two parents. But again, it's like we're using this kind of circumstantial, not evidence, but it's a circumstantial reasoning to place blame and to call into question their characters. And this is all things that we can do. I mean, I've just said that I never got a good vibe off Jerry. So we can talk about them as people. But I think then to take it one step further and then to jump from, oh, okay, that's a weird reaction to have, which it is. People always hold up that their kind of timelines changed and stuff. And I think they're definitely guilty of maybe initially at least trying to make themselves look better than I think they probably knew that leaving their children alone especially when one of them was missing was not a good play and I think in, like in their first interview with the police they're probably trying to save a little bit of face and they kind of say oh it was this time it's this and I also think that's really understandable and understandable reaction to have you know you're probably thinking that your child is going to show up in six hours you're probably thinking she's going to be found on the beach or she's you know you're probably not immediately going to she's been taken you might be thinking she's after walking outside and gotten lost somewhere and so you know you're still probably firmly in that route and in order to like not saying that it's right it's obviously not right you should be honest with police but it's an understandable reaction to have I think yeah I suppose you're right it's not fair for us to speculate on anything it's just interesting for me to kind of read different twitter reactions and then then in particular kind of ask you what your gauge would be on things because you finished the docuseries but I suppose 
we will stick to the facts because we're trying to stay as objective as we can with it. It's just, I remember watching, um, you know, reading on Twitter, even just something that kind of made me feel so guilty was someone tweeting me like, imagine you're actually Madeleine McCann, not knowing you're Madeleine McCann and you're watching this documentary. Yeah, it's really, it is bizarre. It I, is. Do you think that she's still alive? I don't know, to be honest, because I think, realistically, I think that she died within within weeks of the disappearance just because it was so high, high profile that it would have had to have been a very masterful abduction, assuming she was abducted. And it just, I, I don't know. For me, it just... I personally don't think she's alive. It's just, it's kind of just a good instinct I have about the whole situation, but it could just be down to the biased views that I've seen over the years with the whole thing, because with how everything's been skewed over the years, I feel like I'm geared up to believe that, but I'm not too sure. What what, what do you believe? I actually agree with you. I feel like she was taken and I think probably can then subsequently killed within the first maybe 30 days. I think it was too much of, the, the whole world, I don't know if you remember it, but I remember it was literally every time, every morning you wanted to get the paper. This was back in the, like Twitter was only relatively new. Like, I don't think I was on Twitter until maybe 20, 2009, maybe. So newspapers were still everyone's main source of news. And I remember every morning you'd get that front page and you'd be looking at it and it was always Madeleine McCann. And I think it was the whole world was just obsessed with this case. And I think it was too risky to keep her alive. And I don't know, I like, I would love for her to stroll into her home or stroll into the local police office somewhere and be like, oh, hey, I'm Madeline McCann tomorrow. I would love that, but I just don't think that's a pretty realistic outcome. I, I, there's still a little bit of hope there, I guess. I'm not, we don't know. And I'm not 100% certain that she's dead, obviously. The one thing I would like to say is... I see a lot of people say things like the only reason this case is still being talked about is because they're rich and white. And I just, I don't know what, maybe you you can like illuminate me into that like kind of argument. But to me, that has very little to do with why this case is so popular isn't the right word, but so prevalent in modern conversations i think and this is only my personal view and it's not really backed up by much but i think the reason why it is so prevalent is due to the fact that particularly within ireland and the uk it portugal was like the destination spot for families growing up it was just very well marketed towards families to go to portugal kind of the amount because i went for years and years like three times a year as a kid for years met so many friends from ireland and the uk in this place in Portugal that we went to. And so I feel that for us in particular, kind of in our area of Europe, that it really struck home to us because a lot of the people going to Portugal at the time was all the same demographic. So that's why, and it was kind of all the papers were gearing it towards these people who, you know, are buying the paper anyway, like kind of just middle-class white people. And that's, I think, maybe why people are kind of bringing up this whole class nature of it but to be honest my whole view in terms of the class and the ethnic point of it would be more a friend of mine said to me recently and I agree with her that when it comes to how the parents have been viewed and portrayed and dealt with she said that basically because of their standing and their their 
class status and because of the fact that they're white they got away sorry to get to say to get away isn't exactly fair but they I don't think were suspected as much as another class or another ethnic group would have been I think that their privilege did allow them to kind of skirt a few edges so I don't know how you feel about that but when she said that I couldn't help but agree I think I'm all for calling out white privilege we're here for that what I would say again is that we're talking about we're taking something that we've literally just plucked to say that is speculation and that's all that is you are speculating that had this been a poor council estate they wouldn't have been treated the same and now that's there's probably huge areas of truth in that but we don't know that that didn't happen we're not talking about things that have happened we're speculating around the subject again and that's when I think things get crazy things get weird and things get kind of unhelpful I think a little bit where you stop talking about things that can actually help end this case or lead to any type of progress and instead you start focusing on these things that we just kind of created and some of these things can be true I'm not saying that that's not the case but I don't know what that's supposed to prove if you get me if you're to believe that Kate and Jerry McCann were given some type of spell first of all if you watch the documentary I feel like I don't think you can really argue that they had an easy time of it I don't think that's a very strong argument to make but if we are to make that and you want to make the argument that had it been another family in their shoes they would have been treated even worse okay but I don't know what benefit that plays no I understand that and it's not that I'm claiming that they had an easy time but of course they didn't their daughter disappeared and obviously they were brought through the ringer and with the whole situation but I do agree that it's still prominent today in today's society as it was 10 years ago with racial profiling in a lot of criminal cases such as this that I do personally believe that a family of a different different ethnic and economic background would have been dealt with differently and I think that's kind of backed up by a lot of things that have come to light over the past few years when you look at statistics as to how different ethnic groups are dealt with in, in comparison to Caucasian groups so we can disagree on that and I think it's fair for us to disagree on it because you don't want to speculate and that's totally fine and I am speculating but I'm more bringing this about as far as like just to extend the conversation past this case because as you said there is no end to this because we don't know what has happened I don't know if we're ever going to know what's going to happen in terms of the poor little girl being gone but it doesn't mean that we can't branch this out into other prominent areas of a similar nature in terms of looking at other criminal cases or looking at racial profiling or looking at the class system or looking at how the media and how the newspapers and everything can just tear families apart for their own financial gain so there are different different outlets that can be taken from such a prominent documentary is where I'm gearing this to go yeah and I would totally agree with what you just said read the racial profiling thing and these are things that are existent in our culture. But what I'm saying is, is, with this case specifically, I suppose, is that when I watch the documentary, I don't get a sense that they were afforded any extra privilege, is what I'm thinking. I think people like to think of them also as these, like, really, they were obviously very well to do, but they're not, they weren't super rich. They weren't, like, top 1%, top 5%. You know, they still needed benefactors to help them pay for a lot of things after maybe a year because they had run out of their own funds 
So we're talking about a family that like, I think we like to paint them as maybe they were both doctors and, you know, we all have these opinions of these high mighty doctors and a lot of those kind of stereotypes can be true. But I just think it's focusing on it and it's hard. I don't know. I don't even know what I want. I don't want to sound in any way type of like ignorant, but it, the vibe that I get from having watched the documentary is that they didn't have an easy time. And like you said, they really didn't. So then where are we seeing these type of allowances for their whiteness, I guess, is what I'd be asking. I think it's people looking past the documentary and what's been shown in the documentary and kind of harping back to it being a 10-year case and what has been portrayed in the media since. Like, I think people are looking past what is has shown up in the eight-part series. That's that's and this is just what I've gotten from conversing with other people who've watched the documentary and who would be very interested in journalism and media and all of these different outlets. So that's kind of why I geared the conversation towards that. I think the main thing that I'm getting, at least from our conversation and what I've taken from conversations I've had with other people, there are literally so many lenses to view this case from. And I don't think anyone is ever going to have the exact same viewpoint on it because of the fact that there's literally so many facts and then there's so many ambiguous traits to it as well that everyone is going to have a different view. And I just think it's very sad what has happened for obvious reasons. And I feel so sad for the younger siblings who, again, it's kind of similar to what I was saying last week in terms of kids coming to an age where they can actually understand these stories so I'm kind of sad that the documentary came about because of that, because I don't know what people can learn from this that's actually beneficial to going forward. But it's out there. And from what you've said, it does sound like it's worth the watch, to be honest. Yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. I would, you know, I think a lot of times with documentaries, you kind of feel like you have to be engaged with it at all times. And it's not that type of documentary. I think you can kind of, I mean, maybe for the last three episodes, I found myself just because of the nature of the content. I was more engaged, but I think for the first kind of three or four episodes, you can kind of watch it with one eye. If you get me, you can have your phone out. You can, it's kind of that. It's not, there's not a lot of meat on the bones for the first couple of episodes. And then it really hits you. To be honest with you, it could have been four episodes and it would have been a much leaner experience, but um, they chose not to do that for whatever reason. Because they wanted to use that drone. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to get the money for the drone. They were like, we got this drone get back up there, fly that fucking thing over the beach again, and we'll put it in episode seven and six and five and four and three and, and two three and, and two and one. Yeah, like it's in every episode. Like it's right there. I think it's the final shot you see is probably the shot of the fucking beach. Oh, anyway. But definitely worth a watch. And I think like you said about the lenses, there are all these different ways of looking at it. And it's intru- interesting to see where everyone kind of falls. I think it's a super good conversation to have in that it's like you said about that whole conversation we just had about race. That's a super good conversation to have. There are lots of bad conversations being had around the case. You know, those kind of weirdly inflammatory statements that are made about this poor missing child. But for the most part, I've seen the reaction to it been fairly mature and like that fairly intelligent discussion. And that's good. It is good. And I think always with these sort of things take everything with a grain of salt like never take anything to heart too much especially when you're having a differing view with a friend over something because everyone is entitled to their own opinions unless they're just blatantly wrong and when it comes to a case like this no one can be blatantly wrong unless they're disagreeing with hard facts that have been proven so just 
like we were saying last week, just educate yourself. So this week I discussed it with Alex and we both thought it pretty important to discuss Mike Thalassitis's death over the weekend just because we both have very particular views on mental health and how how it affects everyone but I don't know Al if you want to explain who he was just so people get context. Yeah so he was basically a contestant on ITV2's Love Island not last summer I think it was the summer before that um, he was known as this kind of like he came in late in the game and he's very attractive and very you know to all intents and purposes very confident you know I'm doing those air quotes in my um, in studio now at the moment but very confident and he was known as this muggy Mike he was supposed to be this kind of like not villain but he was the kind of cocky slightly unlikable but then also very charismatic character and that kind of seemed to have followed him into his personal life and you know for all intents and purposes it seems to be a total act and has subsequently been on tv and has come across as like a really nice and genuine and friendly and funny person and unfortunately we don't get to see that anymore yeah, it was on Saturday, for those who don't know, that he was discovered in a local park. He had committed suicide. I won't get into the details or anything. Not that they're graphic, but just, you know, for those people who aren't too comfortable in hearing details. But basically, I I knew who he was from having... Not from watching Love Island, actually. Coincidentally, it was from watching Celebs Go Dating because he was in last season's um series of it. And another celeb who was in it who kind of wrote a really really touching eulogy for lack of a better word about about him was Sam Thompson who was from Made in Chelsea and he just described what what his initial reaction was to this guy and which was basically he expected him to be a lad for for lack of a better word and kind of this standoffish character who was going to be kind of arrogant and not approachable and Sam wasn't expecting much of him and then this guy turned out to be incredibly charming incredibly sweet funny good-natured warm and pretty much everything that he wasn't portrayed on television and Sam was even saying within his conversations with Mike that one of the times when Sam introduced himself to Mike he was saying like oh hi Sam uh you're Mike but he never used the nickname that Mike had gotten in Love Island, which was Muggy Mike. And that had really impacted Mike because he had said, he's like, look, I don't like being known as this person because that's just not me. And from what I had read, it seems that it seemed to really weigh on him. The fact that he had to always put on this persona of being this arrogant, arrogant kind of Lothario in, in in a way because that's who he was painted on his first TV appearances so it seemed that if he was to be booked he had to kind of maintain this and a lot of his friends from just reading their statements online and even from other celebs who've commented it seemed to really 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 impact his mental health that as well as like other personal circumstances um, I read how he had been living with his grandmother before she passed away there last week and I'd say that that was obviously a contributor, of course, to him being so low. But it's just, I'm glad the fact now that there is a conversation over 
mental health, but particularly with men. And I find, Al, that you'll be better to discuss this than I will because I think it might be a bit hypocritical for me, the woman, to be discussing this. But it just seems to be opening a door for people to discuss how fragile the conversation around men's mental health is. Yeah. What I would say to that is what we need to move away from is looking at mental health through a gendered lens. We keep talking about lenses, but but gender in any scenario really can have very little positive effect. And what we need to do is we need to stop this thing about men not being able to have emotions and men not being allowed to voice these emotions and men being feel like being made feel like they are less of a man for having such complications and feelings and emotions and driving forces within themselves other than like your stereotypical mask vibe so stuff sort of this really hit me hard because I just think it's so sad and from a personal standpoint when he came onto Love Island he was everything that I thought I wanted to be he's attractive he's confident he gets with all these girls he's like he was someone who looked up to maybe the strong word but who I would have liked to have been but everyone has their own shit and everyone has stuff that they're dealing with and I guess just the overwhelming thing that I just want everyone to be able to do is I just want everyone to be able to talk about these things and use because I genuinely believe that just talking about these things really helps it really helps me and it helps my friends and it's a really sad turn of events and we I just think we just look after your friends and if you don't have someone that you feel you can talk to there are all these other avenues that you can pursue I mean I don't know about you Laura but I'm pretty much open to talking to anyone I love talking to people and I've put this up on my Instagram plenty of times that literally if anyone wants to talk like just text me and it's not that you'd ever be judged and I think a lot of people are like that but there's still this stigma and I just I it makes me so angry and and I know you picked up on it about it this particular um passing kind of opening a door but unfortunately that happens all the time this happens it happened with Robin Williams it'll happen again with the next celebrity it's not a consistent enough conversation that we're having this needs to be a conversation that isn't a peak and isn't valleys we this needs to be a constant this is a thing emotions are complicated and scary and overwhelming but they need to be addressed and we need to be teaching our men specifically i guess i think women are kind of you know inherently maybe a bit more capable with dealing with those type of things just because emotion is a much more stereotypical female thing to you know absolute fucking bullshit but it's a much more stereotypical female phenomenon if you want to call it that these but these that's the truth of it is that there's nothing phenomenal about these things these are everyday occurrences and we need to normalize the conversation about men's mental health but also just women's mental health everyone's mental health mental health in general we need to be talking about it all the time and we need to be helping as many people as we can i mean it's just it's really i just it frustrates me so much and it really saddens me when we lose people like not even like mike just in general to stuff that i think can be so easily solved if we just get rid of all these kind of social constrictions and social 
lockdowns that we've imposed a lot of the time on ourselves as a race, as a human, as the human race. We have created these things that have constricted men and have forced someone like Mike to think that he had no other alternative than to do what he did. And that to me is really fucked up. It is. And I, I, to be honest, I agree with everything you say. And I think the reason why I'm saying that I think the door is open more on the conversation right now, because you're totally right to identify the fact that there have been so many other people of kind of who come to mind over the past few years who have passed away, who have made this uh, more broad conversation and a more common conversation. I think there hasn't been someone with the same kind of characteristics of Mike in the past few years of this kind of kind of stereotypical male icon in terms of he's young he's good looking he gets with women he's confident and I think it's something that a lot of young men look up to to kind of just to be able to kind of have that confidence within yourself and to kind of be able to project that into the world because anyone else that I can think of anyway over the past few years who has taken their life has been older or else has been very vocal about their own depressive episodes and with Mike, it I think it just kind of really crept out of the woodwork. So I think that's why I find this example a very prominent one to discuss at the moment, just because mental health is finally being discussed a bit more. So many artists are using it in their in their music at the moment. A lot more films are being made about it. It's finally getting there's a less of a stigma, but the stigma is still so huge. Like the amount of times on a daily basis that I have to deal with myself or friends feeling like they can't even discuss it with say for instance a doctor because there's with some people in particular and with some doctors unless it's a physical issue it's just not identified to be as equally as important as if it's going to be a physical issue and we need to get over that and there are some amazing amazing societies and services in place now that are you know that are that are trying really hard to kind of just get people back on their feet and if you guys feel like you can't talk to your friends about it or if you can't talk to you can't talk to a family member about it do seek out these services there's so many especially within Ireland itself because I know that I wish I had the statistics here in front of me but Ireland in particular we have quite bad issues when it comes to mental health and that is both statistically correct and it's also just correct when you discuss it with friends and you discuss you know family matters with them and you kind of see how it's pretty much just a genetic thing that seems to be in place with a lot of people I know anyway, that it seems to affect pretty much everyone that they know. It seems to be a big thing. So guys, never feel that you can't discuss it. I know it's so hard to make that leap. And sometimes it's just so hard to go make that step for help to get the help that you're looking for. But sometimes a conversation it doesn't even have to be with, about you. It could be about someone you know. It could be about, again, it could be about a celebrity like we're talking about in this circumstance, but discuss mental health because even if you haven't been unfortunate in having depressive episodes or anxiety or anything that's malaligned as when it comes to mental health issues, just because you haven't experienced it, the other person might have, and then they're now feeling comfortable to be able to discuss it because this regular conversation is being held and they're in a comfortable and safe space. So just always feel when it comes to this type of stuff, it's so, so, so important to discuss. And it's so important to normalize and just try, break down that stigma even further. So 
without wishing to undermine any of the more serious topics that we've discussed in this episode, we do want to make a conscious effort to leave you guys on a more positive note and with a slightly lighter topic. So this week, JK Rowling was again in the news for basically tweeting things that she has been tweeting for like 10 years now. And frankly, I think she should maybe put her phone down. I, no, I am quite the Potter fan. I will not lie. I know what house I'm in. I know what my Patronus is. I know the whole shebang. Like I'm involved. I'm in deep. I am invested. However, the thing that bothers me, and particularly with this week, so pretty much why people are are kicking off guys at the moment is that she said there recently in the last few days how Dumbledore and Grindelwald so really hoping that people are up to date as to which characters these are but these are two main characters anyway in the new series of of Potter World films and they are in a relationship and she's saying how these two men had an intense sexual relationship and why I'm getting mildly irked by this is because she's saying this out of the realm of the books and films why the heck isn't she addressing these in the books and films to increase the characterization and the kind of the inclusion of say for instance lgbt relationships in the books and films why is she saying this out of this medium like wh- wh- why is she trying to make it important outside of it like why can't we address this within the films and books it just feels so unnecessary i think it's definitely a case where she i don't know whether just she gets bored sometimes or she just wants to keep the conversation going or maybe sometimes she thinks about these things and she goes oh that's a good idea let me tweet about it and see how people react or uh, for me i don't want to see any more talk about dumbledore's sexual exploits unless it's in the fucking book or it's in the movie or it's something that you're actually willing to commit to more than at like 240 character tweet or whatever the limit is now because frankly it feels like you're cashing in and you know like i don't really want to think about these type of things unless it's in the medium that i've invested like so many years into and whether that be the book, the books or the movies, whatever it is, but you tweeting about it isn't canon. And unless you're going to make it canon, then I don't want to hear about it. I agree. I feel she's kind of capitalizing on the fact that she's going to get a reaction. And it feels like, is she doing this just to stay relevant? Is she doing this to promote? The see, thing is, she did this in the last couple of days and nothing, nothing has come out in the last week or so that needs this promo. So I'm wondering why... Why does she feel that she just needs to kind of drop these little these little nuggets of wisdom from the Harry Potter world because it really isn't relevant. Who cares if he ha- if the if these two guys had an intense sexual relationship? If it's not addressed in the books and the films, what use is it to the fan base because how like how, how is that information that's going to lead towards any development in their character arcs for us, you know? Like how, we're not going to be any more invested in, in them now knowing this. I just think you know, it's la. I think it's it's funny how earnestly we're t- we're discussing this. It's funny, but it's also annoying. Like she's annoying me. Like I love her. I will always credit her with creating one of the greatest kind of facets of my childhood. And I will never have anyone say anything badly about either those movies or the books. That whole world in general. She created something that I loved, 
But I'm like, sometimes, and we can all probably learn from this, just put your phones down. If you feel like you're just in the mood to tweet something trolly and say something that's not really going to contribute anything meaningful, just you don't need to express yourself on social media. We can put, like, maybe just put the phone away and watch a movie or, you know, do something else. But it doesn't have to be. I think we're always really quick to jump. And because it, social media can be a really good outlet for expressing yourself. And I'm totally here for people using that. But something about the whole JK Rowling thing is just very exploitative and very kind of casual in its. She likes to log in and say something controversial about one of the characters that she's made. And then she floats off and there's no real benefit to it. I don't know who that type of tweet is supposed to help or engage even. It just it's a sort of weird thing and it's weird that we're discussing it now because I feel like is it worth discussing I don't know it's certainly very prominent in the kind of pop culture circle it's being talked about but so then maybe she's won maybe she's winning at the game I think she is and I think she's in a way fallen victim to the twitterverse of just really abusing the point of being able to tweet whatever nonsense you want to tweet but the fact is she has whatever amount of followers that she has. So it's going to be picked up and just start revolving all around the web for whatever amount of hours or days that it does. So she kind of, I suppose, has won the game because she's having us discuss something that's pretty irrelevant. And I suppose we're both kind of questioning, like, why are we discussing this? But mm. for me, anyway, I'm, I'm just annoyed by it. And I can't even express why, because there's no reason for me to be annoyed because it's just a stupid tweet. Well, I'll be honest. My investment into that whole thing is fairly minimal because I really just don't really care. But, you know, I mean, well done, JK Rowling, for getting other people to care and getting people to talk about characters that you created over, is it over 20 years now? Yep. So, I mean, I guess she's winning and I'll, I applaud her. Yeah, you have to applaud the woman because not only did she create like this multi-million universe but she's still having us talk about some of the most irrelevant parts of it so i do <laughs> applaud her for that as well yes well done okay so i think i think a lot has been said today and i think hopefully it's food for thought for you guys because some of the things i'm going to keep thinking about anyway as far as some of our topics have gone today um and i just feel that it's time to digest Yes, so we've discussed a lot of very important topics, some not so important, huh, JK Rowling. But we hope that you've enjoyed listening to us. This is our episode four. Next week will be episode five. I think every week, I think we're really improving. And again, we are so open to any feedback or any type of input you guys want to have. We're on Twitter. Laura, you know the, the handle? I-T-T-O podcast. That's us. So follow us, add us, let us know what you want us to talk about, let us know your thoughts on this podcast or any other podcast that we've put out there, let us know if you have any feelings or you know any type of critique you want to vent, hit us up we're fairly thick skinned, we'll take it and if it's actually of value we will definitely implement that in the future so really get in contact. Yes, use and abuse the Twitter handle guys and I was just thinking there 
in terms of like giving us feedback you guys might not want to do that but instead if you want to kind of take it a different route you can always tweet us with things that you might want to hear us speak about that have come up in the news that you feel that we aren't addressing so always feel that if you want to hear something else that we're not addressing or getting involved with well then just let us know doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to include it but it is always valuable to hear other people's opinions on things so please give us yours as well it's not just i know it's the me and alex show but we'll throw a bit of you in there too yeah and i think we're definitely looking to get some more audience integration we want it we want you guys to be more involved so literally any way you think that's possible let us know and we will at least listen with open ears exactly So thanks, Emil, guys, for listening. And as per usual, we'll see you next Friday.